lot of people probably think before you get married that sex is supposed to be easy and it's not complicated. It's very natural and very passionate. And the truth is the sex requires some work and intentionality, and it's not always so natural. I'm John Fuller, along with Greg Smalley and his wife, Erin, and they lead the Focus Marriage team. Greg, I'm sure you've never encountered a couple that um, ever said, gee, why is this so hard? Yeah, never. Not at all. And, and the the reality is that, you know, those differences in our desires that, that, that can really complicate our sexual relationship, but they, they can um, originate from all kinds of different things, from biological issues, you know, hormonal changes, health conditions, stress, and certain life issues that, that we're going through. Is, mm-hmm. Those are going to impact our sexual relationships, our own relationship dynamics. So if Aaron and I are in a really difficult season or maybe just had conflict, you know, we, we, we may not have that desire. Mental health, you know, past experiences that were traumatic or have created shame and guilt, um, all those kinds of things can impact desire. So, mm-hmm. so what, what's hard about it is it's easy to say, well, you know, couples, they're going to have differences in their desires. Well, I mean... To be able to really step into that, to try to unpack what's really going on, that's such an important conversation. Mm-hmm. As couples, we need to be having what's really driving the lack or the differences in our desire. Yeah, and that's why we're talking about that today on this podcast. Let's turn now to a conversation that Focus President Jim Daly had with Dr. Michael Seitzma, who's done some great research work with popular author Shanti Feldhahn about married couples and sex. Shanti and Michael, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks so much. It's so good to have you. And thank you for writing this great book, Secrets of Sex and Marriage, Eight Surprises That Make All the Difference. I mean, I'm going, okay, I need four copies right now, (laughs) one for me and all my buddies. But, uh, you know, what a topic. This is a tough topic. Michael, let's start with you. Um, Mm -hmm. What are the three different types of desire and why are they important and why should we know about it? Yeah, that's a great question because we have this idea that desire is, um, I want something and I'm pursuing it, which is a primary type of desire. So we talk about an initiating type of desire. That's the what we generally think of. Um, I have these thoughts and I'm pursuing it. Um, and many times we think that is what sexual desire is supposed to look like, that we wake up, we're thinking about it, and we're pursuing it. And when our spouse doesn't have that type of desire, it, we think something's wrong. But we're not recognizing that there's a whole second type of desire, that once it's there and it's offered and I'm drawn into it, then it turns on. And what we've learned in the research is that a lot of bodies are designed to work that way, that the desire just isn't prominent. They don't wake up thinking about it. Right. And the second one is that receptive. Exactly. Yeah. And that requires something that um, sparks me to think about it. So the stereotype would be the husband coming in and saying, you look really good. It's been a few days. And she goes, wow, haven't thought about it in a few days. You know, if I get the the laundry done and I get the kids in bed and if, 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 then maybe we can. And he's a little hurt because she wasn't in that initiating sense. But that's not how hers works. Hers works by 
agreeing to. And then they begin to get engaged, and she experiences the feelings, and she enjoys the connection, and then the desire turns on in her brain. Um, so sometimes it's five, ten minutes in before her desire actually clicks in. Right. And now she's experiencing desire. That's the receptive type of desire. And if he demands that she have the initiating type of desire, it's they're going to always be in a miss, and he thinks something's wrong with her, she thinks something's wrong with her, she's tired of the pressure of trying to be who she's not, it really goes poorly. Man, now we're they, getting to it. <laughs> if they can step back and understand, we approach this very differently. You know, you approach it because you've been thinking about it. I need to think about it before the desire even engages for me. Yeah. And both of those are normal. And the, the one thing in that, we've only covered two, got to talk Correct. about the resistant uh, in a moment. But I, I would think that dialogue then is... You know, once you move that direction, you seem to enjoy it. Yeah, but it's just getting over that fill-in-the-blank speed bump, blockade, <laughs> uh, you know, wall, right. whatever word is there. And it, it it is kind of the typical dance that is done. Correct. And you, you brought up a second um, – we'll do a bit of a um, sidestep in this – uh, that many times the initiating desire doesn't believe the receptive desire spouse even wants. Uh, you, you don't ever want this. And the reality of it is they do want, and when we ask them, they want at a much higher level than is what's happening. Huh. And, you know, I'll sit in my office and look at, um, uh, we'll keep with the stereotype, which is only about 50% of couples. Um, huh. Over a quarter of couples, she is, is the, the higher initiator. drive. Right. She's a higher drive person in this. But if we stick with the stereotype, I'll look at him and say, how often would you really like to engage sexually? And he'll say, oh, two to three times a week. And I'll ask her and she'll say, one to two times a week. And I point out there's not much difference between two and two. You know, they think they're further <laughs> apart than what they that are. That is actually yeah. a great observation. Yes. And the high desire spouse will look at the low desire and say, wait, what? If if that's what you want, why aren't we having it? And I point out, that's the correct question. Your question has been, what's wrong with you that we don't have it? That's the wrong question. Wow. That sets it up poorly. What The resistant, the third observation, describe that quickly. That's the person that's got on the parking brake. You know, the, there's a variety of reasons why maybe they're resistant to this. But even with setting up the right atmosphere, they don't want to engage. It may be trauma from the past. It may be you've really wounded my heart this huh. week and you haven't cleaned that up. It may be issues that are going on internally. There Often there's really good reasons. Sometimes they're not so good reasons. It, it's meaningful why they're resistant. But that's a person who's kind of locked down. Yeah, and that's, that's also really a good. pretty small percentage of it's people, a, like 3 or 4% of men correct. and 3 or 4% of women. Well, Aaron, um, near the end there, uh, Michael talked about the resistant phase, the resistant desire. Um, what encouragement do you offer couples who are right there, uh, one or, or maybe both of them, are feeling that? Mm, you know, when one is resisting, it can be very painful to the spouse that feels rejected or whatever they feel as a result of the resistance, it's important for them to become aware of what am I feeling? How am I internalizing this? You know, my spouse's resistance to engage in sex, and so thus I feel rejected, not good enough, 
um, insufficient. Something is getting triggered deeper at that deeper level. So making sure that that spouse is doing a good job of being aware, caring for their heart, validating their emotion, Mm -hmm. but then also going back to their spouse and sharing, like, this is hurting me. I feel rejected. I feel not good enough, whatever it is they discover. But then as a couple, really navigating again, kind of like Greg was saying earlier, what's really going on? And how can we work together to create a sex life that we're both thrilled with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And uh, this is an area of struggle for so many. And our counseling team uh, feels a lot of calls about this topic. So please, if you're struggling in this area of your relationship, if it's just super hard for you to even talk about, take a step, make a phone call, uh, connect with one of our counselors. Uh, The number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Um, We'll schedule a time for a counselor to call you back. They'll uh, hear from you about what the issues are, what the, the concerns are. Uh, They're totally safe, trustworthy, and they're going to help. They're going to offer some encouragement. They'll pray with you. They'll uh, point you to some resources. And as Greg said earlier, we have a network of counselors, and we can make a referral to you. Uh, So please don't let this part of the relationship become stagnant or die. Reach out today. And then Jim mentioned the book by Dr. Seitzma and Shanti Felton. It's called Secrets of Sex and Marriage, Eight Surprises That Make All the Difference. And we've got that here at the ministry. When you make a one-time gift of any amount to support the work of Focus on the Family, we'll say thank you by sending the book to you. It's a great resource, and uh, certainly we appreciate your generosity to the ministry of Focus. And so look for the details in the show notes. We'll hear more from Shanti and Michael next time. And for now, on behalf of Greg and Aaron Smalley and the entire team, I'm John Fuller, and this has been the Focus on the Family Marriage Podcast. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.